Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Katie G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, March 6, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are at page 30, the third paragraph, We Alcoholics Are. Today's readers are Carrie, 12 Steps, Mora, 12 Traditions, and then Marita, Sandy, and Katie F. The reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, March 5th, is 6002. Thank you. And the preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Carrie M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Katie, for your service. My name is Carrie M., a grateful recovering compulsive eater in Vermont. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Carrie. 
I will now ask Maura Z to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Katie G. Thank you for your service. 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facilities or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every Overeaters Anonymous group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. And I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive over ears only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the pig book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. On page 30, we are starting with the third paragraph, We Alcoholics Are, and I would like to ask Marita to please get us started with the reading. Marita? Good morning, Katie. Good morning, visionaries. This is Marita from Virginia, um, compulsive overeater recovered. 
We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. Okay, so these uh, guys are telling us once again what it means to be um, alcoholic in this case in the book or a compulsive overeater in our case. In the preamble, when Katie was reading it, she was saying that we are, we are gathered together to stop eating compulsively, that everybody here is a member if we have the desire to stop eating compulsively. So this paragraph is reminding me that what makes me a compulsive eater is that I am out of control. I have lost my ability to control my eating. And I, I, I fought that idea for the longest time. I did not want to admit it. I did not want to accept it. It just, it just, it, it, it went against my nature. I wanted my ego and I, we both wanted to control this thing. We thought we could. And um, I could not stay sober, like on page 417, um, the uh, author of that section, that story says, until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. So this is really important for me to drill into my brain, my, my deluded and broken mind, that I am not in charge of this thing. I cannot control it. I'm powerless. I need to find a power that can help me with it. That's just a fact. That's one of the great facts i got to get a grip on. And uh, once I've got that, though, that starts me off on a path of recovery. Then I have some hope, even though it feels like an oxymoron. It feels like, well, now that I've given up, I have no hope. But it's in the giving up that I get the hope, because then I can look outside of my own little self-reliance uh, and begin to ask for the help that I can be given as soon as I'm open to it. Thanks so much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Marita. Who would like to comment on what was read? This is Katie. I hear Sarah and then Katie, please. Go ahead. Uh, Good morning, Vision for You. Um, This is Sarah, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, Great, great paragraph today. really has so much to it. It talks about the first step and the incomprehensible, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And 
it says we are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grips of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And on the margin, I wrote, when you make a decision based on a lie, you will always find the truth. And I think, you know, that's the, you know, the great obsession that we have is that we can regain control, that somehow we'll be different, we'll be normal. You know, we'll be normal, we'll be able to do what we want. You know, and I kind of think of myself as like a two-year-old child when I'm in disease. You know, this tantrum-throwing kid that wants her way. And, you know, the reality is that none of us get our way all the time. And, you know, if I look at the disease as a gift, which it is, because that is the greatest thing that I can offer somebody else is through this, the difficulties that I've had, whatever they are, whether it be my compulsive eating or in my case, you know, I was an adopted child. All those things offer me the ability to help somebody else. Uh, but I have to get to the place where I'm, I humble myself and say, you know, this isn't working. And I have to believe in my heart of hearts that that I have an illness and that the only way that I will get better is by, you know, really truly taking action and, and first of all, admitting my own, my own weakness, my own um, illness, and then I can start to get better. But, uh, you know, the pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization, that, that shame that, you know, you know, we, we I, I've cycled back into the food so many times, and I'm so grateful that I'm getting some some nice long-term abstinence. I, you know, uh, long-term uh, freedom from the obsession of the food because it's it's such a painful thing. So, I invite you to really take some action because that's what it that's what it's all about. God is not going to take a wand and put it over our head and strike us absent. We have to take the steps to first admit and then walk into the rest of the steps and, and get the help that we need. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And Katie F., would you like to share on what was read? Can you guys hear me, Katie F.? We can hear you. Please press star one. Unmute. Okay. Um, can we have someone else that would like to share on what was read? This is Hannah. Janice. Okay. We'll have Hannah and then Janice and Katie F. Let us know when you're back. Hannah, okay. why don't you go ahead and share, please? Okay. Um, I'm Hannah. I'm a grateful... <laughs> Recovering Compulsive Eater in Colorado. Um, I love that if, because that, that's always the one that, you know, that triggers in my mind, well, maybe I'm not as seriously, um, as serious a compulsive eater as other people are. Um, and it's, it's, to me, the first great opportunity to say, to identify instead of comparing, you know, to to and to understand that um, 
the risk that's expressed in that if. You know, it, the risk is really high of deciding, well, I'm not as seriously eating compulsively as other people I hear talk, and so I'll get better. I'll change. Um, so I'm just I'm really happy to to um, to be able to say, oh yeah, I am. Thanks. Pass. Thank you. And Janice. Yes. Thank this you. Katie F. I'm back. <laughs> okay. Um. You know what, Katie F. We're just gonna have Janice share real quick, and then we'll have you share. Okay. Hopefully, I'll be able to get back. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, this is Janice. I'll be real quick. My name is Janice Recovered, Compulsive Overeater. Um, I just want to say that, you know, it says that we alcoholics, that means we who have recovered. We have to remember that. These people are, are already recovered, so they're just going back and telling, you their, telling us their experience. And, yes, I am one of them. Um, I always thought I had the ability to control, but little did I know. I did not have any choice. I didn't have any choice over the amount I took because of the allergy of my body. And I didn't, and when I was stopped, oh, you know, I thought, oh, I was okay now. I'd always go back to that first bite because of the obsession of my, of, of, of my mind. So I really didn't have any choice. I didn't know that, though. I didn't know that I had an allergy of the body an obsession of the mind. I was always going to say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it someday. I'm going to gain this control. So, you know, and it never came. You know, I'd be abstinent and thinking, okay, this time I know I got it. I'm telling you, I know I can do it. And then I would, you know, pick up again. So it is a progressive illness. I just want to, you know, I compare it to a little child. You know, when a little child, he gets one foot, two feet tall, can we stop that my child from growing anymore? It's impossible. I'm helpless. He has to grow. He has to grow until whatever height he becomes. And this is how my illness is. It just got progressively and progressively worse. Of course, the child's growth is good. But it's, it's the same, um, the same idea. I cannot stop that growth. I cannot stop that progression. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. And Katie F., if you could share, please. Thank you. This is Katie F. in Virginia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, powerless over technology today. Um, and I love, you know, these, these uh, first paragraphs that we have read in this chapter. I've been thinking about the fact that, you know, the mental part of this disease, when I was in disease, I did not understand that I had a mental problem, so um, it got worse. It just got worse and worse. Um, after six years of being in, a, in OA, I went into a tremendous relapse, and um, you know, I, or five years, and I, I really thought that it could not have gotten any worse than it had been uh, prior to OA, and it was exponentially worse. I mean, my life got so small. Uh, because of this disease and, you know, the depths that it took me to, um, 
that I had to be desperate enough to say, I will do whatever you tell me to do, because prior to that, I just thought that I had an eating problem. I thought I needed to learn how to eat right, but it never dawned on me that my thinking would change and that this mental obsession with eating and dieting and weight would be removed. And so um, over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. You know, I have that ingrained in me now what it was like on my last binge, which lasted for 11 months. Um, you know, the, every day waking up thinking, today's the day, I won't pick up that food, I won't pick up that food, and by 10 o'clock, I was pounding my head saying, why have I done it again? Well, I might as well keep on going for the day. And, you know, we, I don't live that way today. I don't have to tippy-toe around um, my binge food and pray that I don't succumb to my mental obsession because the mental obsession is gone. And I thought that, you know, I've been a compulsive overeater since as far back as I can remember. So I really didn't understand that other people don't think this way about food. I didn't understand that it was possible to coexist with food and not have that mental obsession. I thought that that was how everybody lived. And, you know, but I just needed a little bit of control. But even with a little bit of control, it would still be in my brain. And I didn't understand that as a recovered person, I would not have to fight that dragon every day. It didn't even, I just didn't even think that was possible. And, you know, through the process of working these steps, I no longer have to uh, read diet books and, you know, pray that I can get through the day and white knuckle um, my way through abstinence. I'm not a stark raving um, abstinent person. You know, I have a happy, joyous, and free life because I've accepted the fact that I can never eat like a normal person, that I will never grow new legs that will allow me to walk into um, a fast food joint and order whatever I want and eat small portions or whatever, you know, would be my fancy. I cannot ever do that. And the good news is I don't care and I don't want to and I don't miss it. Um, It's so much better than I ever would have imagined. And... You know, if you're new on this line, it's not about, um, you know, just learning how to control the dragon. It's about expelling the the dragon and living free as a free person, not as a person tippy-toeing around, um, you know, with a monster trying to work its way back into your life. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. And this is Katie G. from Boston. I'm just going to take a quick minute because I love, love, love these pages. I want to take a minute to just reflect that we read there is a solution, right? We were presented with what the solution is, a one solution. And now we're talking more about alcoholism. Why is that? Because I am a hard-headed compulsive overeater. 
in my adult life, I've been 228 pounds and 110 pounds, and that is a symptom of a pretty deep spiritual illness, right? Pretty deep, and I had to be badly mangled. I had to have everything taken out of my life. And I spent years thinking, if I could just chew like her, if I could just diet like her, if I could just walk like her, if I could talk like her, if I, if I could do what other people did, I wouldn't have this life. And I absolutely ran into problems with getting confused because I would regain control. I would be on a diet for a period of time and the food would be clean, and I'd be counting my points or doing whatever, and I would be okay. And I would think, hey, here we go. I'm fine. You know, I don't, I don't need, I am not a compulsive overeater, which to me was the most shameful name in the entire world because what I did with boxes and bags was so darn sexy. But what happened? I would pick up the food. And what did this mean? It means when I was anorexic in high school and I went into college, in a period of nine months, I put on 110 pounds because of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, which means to upset or destroy what is normally functioning. I kept getting worse. My binges kept getting worse. I would get up in the morning with food still in my mouth, partially chewed, and I would want to keep eating. But the thing is, you guys, this is about my thinking, too. Over any considerable period, my self-hatred, my desire to die, my desire to do anything to get the food, to do anything to get away from the food, and my inability to stop kept getting worse. And I was going on to, to a compulsive overeater death. I was operating under false psychotic beliefs, which are delusions, that someday, somehow, I would be okay because I was in control. And it wasn't until I fully surrendered complete control, until I fully admitted complete defeat, that this compulsive overeater said, I can't do it. Forget it. I am not in management anymore. That is when the light and love of God started to break me open. So if you're on the line and you're in a lot of pain because of your food, your eating, your inability to stop, or your thinking, welcome. There is a solution. And until I was completely demoralized and convinced about my problem, I would not follow the solution. And with that, I will pass. Who else would like to comment on what was read? This is Larry. Larry, go ahead. This is. Uh, thanks, Katie. Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, you know, you know, as long as I truly have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, you know, the greater aspect of this disease, I could never recover control. I could never recover control. But many of us, like me, you know, for many years, will refuse to believe this. We, we will refuse to accept this. Um, I know I did. Last night, uh, my, my very best friend um, in the world lost his father to, to this disease, the disease of alcoholism, another, another person. I mean, this is real. This disease is no respecter of us, believe me. You know, when I'm talking to my friend uh, who's, uh, who's also on this program, you know, his dad is dead. 
He's never coming back. You know, I'm going to die, and so are you. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, die, knowing that I am a compulsive overeater with this disease. But I will not die of this disease. With it, with uh, with my friend, you know, with his dad. I mean, the jig was up for his dad. You know, may may he rest in peace. But his disease was progressive. I talked to this person every single day, my, my friend. And we would talk, you know, just like you, we, we would talk about things going on in his life. And it wasn't all program, believe me. You know, we would talk about things. And, and you know, this disease for his dad, I can speak about it. It was progressive. The noose tightened its grip around his neck. It choked him out. He died way, way, way before his time. He was, in my book, he was a relatively young man. You know, progressive means happening or developing in stages. It's, it's continuous. It's increasing, ongoing, accelerating. That's what it was for me. It, it escalated. It'd be nice if it would have just kind of stayed where it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. That would have been okay. No, that's not how this disease works. Those regular size uh, uh, sugary sort of dessert items, those regular size things, you know how they make everything bigger now? Yeah, it took bigger and bigger ones. I needed to supersize everything. Everything needed to be bigger, and I needed more and more and more. That's the nature of this disease. You think it's going gonna, it's gonna to just stop, you know, where it's at? Eh, maybe my life is somewhat manageable. Maybe I can, I can do. Good luck to you. Hats off to you if you can. Eat like a gentleman. That's what it says in the big book. I could never eat like a gentleman. This disease will kill people dead. You know, and it did my friend's father. And uh, and he's now dealing with the repercussions of that. And it, you know, and that's what it is. I mean, everyone knows this, this person, you know. Uh, by the way, this is a, a really neat man. This man, you know, I'll tell you, he had advanced degrees. This man led a life, no doubt. But the disease got him. It, it tightened its noose. How ironic that, you know, once I had a vital spiritual experience sufficient to arrest this disease, my awakening, my, my, my connection to my higher power, that became progressive as well. I swear, every day it gets better and better. I didn't believe it was so. I didn't believe that was possible for, for a guy like me, or a wretch. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, I didn't think, but my awakening, my connection to God, you know, sometimes I don't want to talk about God. I, 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 have, a, I have a fear that I'm going to, it's the pleaser in me. I don't want to offend anybody, but this could happen no other way. Whatever your conception of a higher power, you, f- you can find another way. You'll be the first that I've ever met in program, and I've been around a few days. You'll be the first. And I want to hear about it. You call me. Please find my name. It's on the list with a thousand others. You call me when you find someone other, you know, find uh, some way other than, than a spiritual awakening of a higher power of your conception. You find that way and you call me because I will, I'll write a book with you. That's a, that's a, that's a fact. Anyway, with that, I'm very grateful to be here. I'm glad that you're here. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. 
And who would like to share on what was read? It's Leah. Leah, please go ahead. Thanks so much, Katie G. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization and inevitably means unavoidable. And, of course, the paragraph ends over any considerable period. We get worse, never better. And, boy, you know, I mean, that's just the story of my eating career. I mean, I was a compulsive overeater since I was a kid. You know, I knew something was off there. (laughs) You know, even at the young age of um, seven, I was caught in the Bermuda Triangle of the the couch, the refrigerator, and the TV set, Um, you know, trying to find ways to play hooky from school so I could stay home and binge. You know, I didn't know what was going on with me, really. You know, I did not know whatsoever what I was up against. I did not understand the depths to which this disease would take me. I did not see the writing on the wall. You know, and and eventually when I did pursue uh, therapy or, uh, you know, self-help books and psychologists and psychiatrists, um, even that, even even my own understanding, even even knowledge about this illness, uh, awareness of eating disorders, never stopped me from compulsively overeating. I was just a very smart, young, compulsive overeater. Um, you know, and I would get control at times. I would be able to eliminate those foods uh, which triggered that phenomenon of craving at times. But I could not stay stopped. I've stopped thousands of times. Why couldn't I stay stopped? Why would I unavoidably, inevitably, uh, still have less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization? Why didn't I respond to humiliation? I, I, you know, I knew that every time I touched the flame, my fingers were going to get burned. You know, I had millions of abstinent breakfasts. I did not have millions of abstinent lunches. What was wrong with my mind? You know, it was just a horrible place to be. When I ate my binge foods, I lost control. When I didn't eat my binge foods, I lost control. And I was continuing to repeat that behavior, expecting different results, not learning from my experience. I could not connect the dots. And it says here, over a considerable period, we get worse, never better. (laughs) Hey, true statement. Check that one off for me. Because the frequency of my binging was getting closer and closer. And the duration of my binges was getting longer and longer. And the intensity of my binges was getting more and more violent. You know, I could no longer uh, be able to control consistently or predict the outcomes of my binges. I didn't know when it would stop. And, of course, I was experiencing uh, a, a noticeable decrease in my ability to tolerate these binges. Even though I was young, my, my body was being abused. I was abusing my body. 
And of course, you know, down the road, I added a few additional tricks like, uh, you know, a little bit of purging or laxative abuse or, or how about some, uh, you know, over-exercise or add to that a little bit of restriction and starvation. Let's make that, you know, a whole combination, a nasty brew. And I'm not even talking about all those other kinds of consequences that come on when you've been in this kind of game for a while, meaning isolation, deep depression, suicidal thinking, no close friends. Uh, You know, you can't sleep at night well. You're angry at the world. You're irresponsible, unreliable, undependable, unpredictable. You know, all those kinds of things. People walk on eggshells around you. Those are consequences also that are getting worse. But I was caught in this vicious cycle, this obsession, this idea that overpowers all other ideas, you know, which would... Uh, you know, send me back to that which was killing me. And, of course, this compulsion that as soon as I picked up those binge foods, it triggered that phenomenon of craving. It was like throwing a match into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! So I was on this horrible, vicious cycle where I would eliminate my binge foods, feel increasingly restless, irritable, and discontent, Then I would have this memory flash across me that, you know, I'll feel better once I dig my fist into a cellophane bag in a bakery box. I'll believe the lie that this time it'll be different. This time I'll just have a few bites, one bag, one night of binging and get right back on track tomorrow. I would take that first bite. It would trigger the phenomenon of craving. I would binge my brains out until my eyeballs hurt. Then I'd wake up the next morning, have tremendous remorse and regret and guilt. And then at some point, whenever that would be, the next day, the next week, the next month, six months down, two decades later, I would make a resolution and a firm promise that I will never Never, never do that again. I don't want to eat like that anymore, and I don't want to live like that anymore, and I don't want to cry like that anymore, and so I'm not going to do that anymore, for goodness sakes. And you know what? It never worked. All the wishes and all the necessity never worked for someone like me. Because who am I? I'm Leah. And I'm a real compulsive overeater. But I also want to tell you before I shut up that I am a recovered compulsive overeater today. And I don't live that way anymore. And I don't eat that way anymore. And I don't cry that way anymore. Because I've been relieved of the obsession of the mind. It's been expelled. It's been driven out. I've been restored to sanity. Not through any of my own personal success, but through the glory of God coming into my life as a result of these steps, and we call that the program of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Ayam. And who would like to share on what was read? Hi, this is Katie S. in Pittsburgh. Katie, go ahead. Uh, Katie S. from Pittsburgh Recovered Compulsive Reader. I, um, you know, it was these, all of us felt at times we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually briefer and inevitably followed by less, still less control. Um, 
those times that I did feel like I was regaining control, they gave fuel to my disease. Um, you know, if addiction was like, uh, we compare it to this touching a hot stove. And there's no, you know, when you touch a hot stove, like, yeah, it burns every time. Like, that's that's how it is. My addiction and these regaining control um, periods led me to believe it was more like a Russian roulette game where, you know, I have the bullet in the chamber, and when I'm first starting, I I spin the chamber, and every every once in a while, there's a bullet, and I, I name myself. Maybe it's not pointed at my head at the moment, and I shoot my foot, and I'm like, oh, man, that was not fun, but, I, you know, I play again. I'm, I'm playing again. I, I, as the disease progresses, more and more bullets get put into that chamber, and I'm spinning it, and I'm, I'm hoping, like, now's going to be a time that I pull this trigger and nothing happens, and I get away with it, and uh, the progression of the disease leads to a point when there are no empty chambers and I can't help myself from pulling it and I'm I'm just mutilating and just naming my body left and right. I'm in pain. I don't want to be doing what I'm doing. But it was my mind which will continue to tell me like maybe maybe I'm gonna get lucky. Maybe I'm gonna get lucky and be able to get away with it today, and uh, and it just kept thinking back to those those times when that was a when that was there, but it was all part of a progressive illness that led me to just constant destruction to the to the burning every time. That's all I want to share. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. And Sandy D., would you please pick up the reading where we left off? Hi, this is Sandy D., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. We are like <clears throat> excuse me, we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed always by still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So um, we are like men who have lost their legs. Um, I'm a pickle. I was a cucumber. I will never be a cucumber again. I will always have the allergy to certain foods and certain eating behaviors every day, every day, every day. That will never go away. Um, I knew somebody who was a um, had lost both his legs. He was an amputee, and he never pretended that he had legs. He never fell out of um, his, you know, devices that helped him move around because he never acted like he had legs. So, so when I tried to eat in a controlled way, I was acting like I had legs as an amputee. And 
you know, as everybody has said, it never worked. It never worked. Um, one of the crazy things I did was when I gained, when I was 80 pounds overweight, I called my insurance company to ask them if I could have um, the stomach surgery that was just becoming popular at that time. And they said, you have to be, sorry, you have to be 100 pounds overweight. So my first thought was M&M's. I can eat 20 pounds of M&M's on a dime, and then maybe they'll let me have the surgery. So the... um, you know, the, the fantasies are incredible. The fantasy that I am a normal eater, you know, it astounds me. And the problem is not the food. The problem is the obsession. I tried again and again to eat like regular people, to eat a sliver, to eat a portion. Um, and then I tried to diet like regular people. Regular people or non-compulsive overeaters can be successful with other methods of losing weight. It just, it wasn't for me because I am not a normal eater or a normal dieter. And then the last part, um, physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Um, So I'm pretty sure all the the doctors that I know at least agree that um, abstinence is the best way for an alcoholic. Unfortunately, Doctors do not agree that abstinence is the best way for compulsive overeaters. Doctors have recommended to me and prescribed to me um, drugs like Fenfen to uh, control my eating. Um, other, other, uh, I tried other medications that were supposed to take away my appetite. That didn't work so much. I tried um, exercise plans. Doctors... I, I wish doctors agreed that abstinence was the best way. Doctors may, pers- you know, recommend or nutritionists may recommend um, eating moderately, eating all those binge foods moderately, you know, leaving some in the plate, chewing 30 times, um, putting the fork down in between bites perhaps. Um, but that was never me. I, I swallowed my food whole. If it was alive, I would have eaten it alive because I could not stop eating. And um, as everybody said, the control wasn't there, but uh, we do have a solution. And as it says on the page before, our hope is that many alcohols, men and women, desperately in need will see these pages. Yes, I am one of them. I must have this space. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Sandy. And who would like to share on what was read? This is Bella Kishel. Kim, I heard Bella. I heard Kim. Who else? Lauren. Lauren. Anybody else? I've got Bella, Kim, and Lauren. Okay, great. We will um, start with Bella then. Please go ahead. Okay, thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I love those paragraphs. They are very, very powerful, like other men. Yes, now it's it's so painful to see where I was. I wanted to be like other men, 
but still I want it my way. I wanted to be like that person that goes to the restaurant and eats the dessert and doesn't finish it and leave over and she just take the bite and the, the, that's it. It's enough for her. And I wanted to be like her, to be able to eat one bite from that dessert and to leave it. But no, I wanted my way too. I wanted to eat the old dessert and to be skinny like that lady. I wanted to be like everybody else but my way. I wanted, I saw only the wonderful, that it, it seems to me, wonderful parts, like to be so skinny and so beautiful, but my way. I want to eat everything that I want, how much I want, whenever I want, and still be skinny. I wanted everything. One thing I didn't know, that I didn't know who am I, where I am, and what really I want for myself. I wanted to be like other men, the whole entire world. I didn't have a specific person that I want to be, to be like. One thing I didn't know, I didn't want to be like myself. And I just found myself all the time running away again and again and again to the food and being angry and jealous and disappointed and painful. And thank God, thank God, through this program, I suddenly, I found myself. Yes, I am a very thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Through my, by, by being aware that yes, I have a disease and it's a gift because throughout my disease, I got closer to God and my relationship with God just got stronger and I am not afraid anymore to be myself. I am not anymore the jealous person that wants to be like other men and running away from my own self. It's a wonderful miracle for me that I know who I am, where I am, and I want to achieve my potential, the best what I can do one day at a time. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Kim? Thanks, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there was brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. And what I want to talk about, this is something I only really saw in retrospect. When I started to really become a student of the big book and I look back at my well over a decade in OA and my decades before in before OA, you know, there's something popular in my area called relapse and recovery. And we have meetings on it and people talk about times when they were abstinent and then when they pick up and how they get abstinent again. And I had to look at, you know, what does recovery mean? You know, what is a 12-step fellowship about. We are here to work the 12 steps. So if I am staying abstinent and I'm not working the steps and then I pick up and then I get abstinent again and I'm not working the steps and then I pick up, how can I call that recovery? What I'm doing is I'm getting on the wagon and I'm getting off the wagon. And really what it is is the progression of the illness because while I was in Overeaters Anonymous and I was working tools only, 
And I wasn't working the steps. I was using meetings as my resource to try to stay absent one more day. And the disease was getting stronger and stronger, and my periods of abstinence were getting shorter and shorter, and the times I picked up were becoming more and more devastating. And I would say, I ha- why I'm a chronic relapser, and I have periods of recovery. What I had to now acknowledge, once I started working the steps, was what I had experienced in Overeaters Anonymous was the progression of the illness. Because if I am in a 12-step program and I am not working the steps, I am not working a recovery program. And the other thing I really saw was by hearing, I've been in and out of program for 13 years. I'm working the program so hard. But what is the program? You know, on page 59 where it talks, it gives us the steps. It says, here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. So the program is the 12 steps. What I realized is that for many years, I was in and out of the fellowship. I was in and out of the fellowship. And I remember someone after a year or so in OA, and I was telling her all my problems, and she looked at me and she said, well, why don't you join Overeaters Anonymous? And I'm like, well, what do you think I've been doing the last year? She goes, I think you've been attending meetings. And that's a real eye-opener for me. The fellowship is wonderful. and In an ideal situation, it's going to support us. But the program is 12 steps, and the program is going to change us. And it's only through experiencing these 12 steps and having that change that we're going to experience recovered. I'm going to live a day free from the obsession. If I just work the fellowship, if I just work on abstinence and being dry, what I'm going to have is an exhausting day of trying to control the beast one more day. So I just challenge you guys to look at it. For those who were like me, who chronically relapsed in LA for many years, was it really relapse and recovery or was it that the disease was progressing because each relapse, each time I picked up, the disease was getting stronger and stronger. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Lauren. Hi. Lauren asks, a recovered compulsive overeater, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We are like men who have lost their legs. Bill was a lieutenant in the Coast Artillery in the First World War. So he saw men lose their legs, get blown up, and be crawling on the coast of the nation he was in at the time, bleeding and screaming for help. I I just, you know, I'm thinking of Pearl Harbor, the movie, when I imagine men who have lost their legs. And Bill is using that synonym. Like, if, if I, Warren Saggio, were to write a book about being recovered from compulsive overeating, I would want to use language that I relate to And to see men have their legs blown up and use that in relation to my addiction, Bill is telling me something here. Lauren, your legs are blown up. You're never going to be able to grow new bones and new muscles. I'm like blown away, no pun intended. Just wonderful language here. Okay. All right, so that's that. Speaks to me there, and and here, 
It says science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So that was, that was what, like 75 years ago that those words were written in this book and, and still in 2014, uh, science has not cured our addiction. And it's okay because I've found a solution. So I don't need to rely on human power and synthetic knowledge as the doctor's opinion references. Thank you very much. I will pass. Thank you, Lauren. And it is 7.55. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close the reading from the big book with, with close the meeting with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Katie F. please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.